So, hello everyone. Hope you're hope you're having a great day. Hope you're enjoying yourselves. Uh, we're glad to give you another episode of Pick Up the Mic. Uh, you know, we've really enjoyed all the comments and all the support you guys have shown this season, and really appreciate it, especially our, our Patreon members. So, thank you very much for all the work that you guys have been doing. Uh, but as always, we bring on these amazing guest speakers to talk about amazing topics and uh, we've got another amazing topic and another amazing speaker for you today. Now the topic of today's episode is PhDs representation and uh, you know that we're big on the idea of representation uh, but you know also we we take academics and like to highlight academic opportunities available to young people as well Uh, and what better way than bringing on an amazing guest speaker who uh, is not only passionate about PhDs, but she's also passionate about representation. Uh, so I'm now going to hand over to Donna. Uh, Donna, if you could just introduce yourself uh, to our audience. Sure, I feel so honoured. Thank you very much. And first of all, thank you all for having me. I promised um, at the beginning to be on my best behaviour, so I will continue to try that throughout today's episode. We're just going to hope for the best. Um, But yeah, my name is Donna Marie, so that's Donna with a hyphen Marie. Um, The reason I'm Donna Marie is because my dad liked Donna Summer, my mum liked Marie Osmond, and they couldn't choose. So, hey, there could only be one, eh? So it's Donna Marie. And what can I say about me? I always like these kind of questions. I always think about, let me think about how I'd like someone to know who I am. If this is the first time you're getting to meet me, how would I describe myself? So personally, the most important role that I have is that I'm a mom, which is absolutely fantastic. I'm a mom to a now, goodness, he just turned 19 the other day, 19-year-old young man um, who's a lot taller than me. I'm hoping he's going to play for the NBA, but we're kind of working all of that out. Outside of all of that kind of interest there, you know, I'm a sister, I'm a a daughter, I'm a friend. That's just the Donna Marie who loves everyone. I'm this great big ball of energy. And no matter how I try, I can't seem to dim that energy as much as my friends would probably like me to. So like I said, I'm trying to tone some of it down just for you all today. Um, other things that I love to do, I'm a blogger. So I love fashion, beauty and lifestyle blogging, which has been something I've been doing for almost 10 years now. My blogging anniversary is coming up, which is crazy. And, and that's, again, something that I'm just extremely passionate about. And also, I'm a second year PhD student, which is, I think, one of the main reasons that I'm here today. So I'm quite excited to tell you a little bit about my PhD journey. And it's certainly been a journey. And believe me, it's only year two. So you can uh, actually let me let me rephrase that. It's only month one of year two. Let me not take the whole year just yet. You know, I can't take the whole year just yet. Let me let me pace myself. And I'm a special needs education professional. So what that means is that I work in a special school. And I teach young people with a host of different um, difficulties, learning difficulties, challenges, abilities, et cetera, um, leads, you know, successful and promising lives. So that's me in a nutshell. Wow. I think you're a, you're a jack of all trades. Uh, <laughs> our listeners uh, definitely are glad to have someone someone like you who seems to, uh, you know, I want to say has a bit in everything. You know, you, you, you're, you're showing that you're talented, you, you're working in different areas. Uh, and yeah, I'm sure our listeners uh, are as glad as I am to have you on the podcast today. So thank you very much again, Donna, for, for being on the podcast today. Uh, we can't get to learn a bit more about you and uh, I guess your PhD journey. Uh, 
Thank um, you. No, you're, no, you're very welcome. And thank you. Uh, can I just say, I love that you said the jack of all trades, but you left off the master of none. Mm. You see, you're too good to me already. I like how I like how this friendship is building. I'm a woman with many hats, and you know, I just know when to wear each one of them. So yeah, I like that jack of all trades. The building up to masters of quite a few of them. We'll Definitely. go there. <laughs> uh, but no, thank you very much for that. And uh, we're now going to go on to our first official question. So for our first official question, um, you know, you, you nicely talked about your your PhD, and we we mentioned in the previous question that you know you you've, you're on a PhD journey, like you said, you you're on your second year of the first uh, second year of Ernest, you know, the first term of your PhD, which is really good. Um, but I guess casting your mind back, you know, why did you decide to do a PhD? I know there might be some students themselves who might be thinking of, you know whether they're master students, I know that there's some PhDs, uh, there's some PhDs that undergrad students can apply for. So why did you decide to do a PhD? Okay, so I'll be completely honest, this was not a lifelong ambition. Um, I wanted to be a dancer, to be honest, I really wanted to be a Michael Jackson impersonator when I was a lot younger. I kind of went out the window. So PhD is kind of the next best thing. And I'm saying that to be flippant, but honestly, it really wasn't a lifelong journey. I kind of fell into my PhD. So I guess it took a a different turn for two reasons. So let me give you the first one. Um, As I mentioned, I work in a special education school, a special needs school with um, children and young people that have a host of different needs and abilities. And one of the things that struck me when I started working there was the fact that there were no black, Asian or minority ethnic teachers. So the actual staff profile looked completely different to the pupil population. We had probably about, and this is going back about maybe nine, 10 years now, we had about maybe 90% black, Asian, minority ethnic um, pupils, but not one teacher. And I'm talking about no one in the senior leadership team, no one in the kind of um, uh, other professionals that would come into the school to support the pupils, etc. No one came from a minority ethnic background. And it really, really baffled me. And I think it baffled me for a couple of reasons. Obviously, I'm a mother myself to a young Black son um, who also has additional needs. So my son is a young person that has severe autism. And you know, I've got nieces and nephews and, and godchildren. And I just kept thinking, is this what schools are like? Is this what like schools in the UK are like? I just didn't understand where this breakdown was coming in. We've got these black and, you know, minority ethnic children, but then the staff population is not reflective of that. So I just thought, OK, you know what? It's all good for me to talk about it. Why don't I do something about it? So I'm going to go back to university. There's me and my bright ideas, you know, telling my family, no, I'm going to leave my corporate job. I was working in customer service as a senior manager at the time. And I thought, no, I I need to do something about this. So went back to university. And strangely enough, this is when part two comes in. It was pretty much the same thing. So I, I went to, you know, Brunel University and went into education And there were no black academics on my course. And I thought, whoa, what is going on here? And I'm not talking just, you know, black academics in terms of, you know, actual staff that work at the university. I'm talking about guest speakers also and in some of the different departments. Now, I know it is quite department specific, but I just found it really interesting that in the whole of the education department, we didn't have any black academics at all. And I thought, 
again, what's going on here? So this is when things started to, you know, questions started to arise. I used to be that person in class all the time throughout my undergrad asking questions about race. And, you know, if I'm really honest in the beginning, it wasn't so much at the forefront of my mind until I returned to university, because then I started to question things more. I needed to understand why this was happening. You know, I've seen it at my place of employment at work. And then here I come to study and it's the same thing again. So I'm thinking, where's the disconnect here? Where's the breakdown? And it was during this time that I learned things um, like, you know, the student attainment gap. And, you know, it was fascinating to me to understand that just because the color of your skin, that dictated the type of degree classification you were likely to get. You know, I couldn't understand that because you were black or Asian minority ethnic, you were less likely to leave university with a first or a upper second, you know, than your white peers. That just baffled me because in my mind, I was like, you really mean to tell me that because the color of my, because I'm black, I'm not going to leave with a first. OK, we'll see. And I did leave with the first just so that they knew because we weren't playing those games. But yeah, it was just crazy to me to understand how all of this was working. So it was like, OK, the goalpost then kept moving. So, you know, I left work and it was like, OK, you're going to become a teacher so you can go ahead and, and change that narrative and become, you know, a black teacher in a special school. And then you went to university and there were no black academics. And it's like, OK, so how do I do that? Oh, well, you need to do your master's and then potentially do your Ph.D. So it kind of was born out of all of that. It's like that goalpost kept on moving because in my mind, it just wasn't good enough that there were no there was no one that looks like me. And you mentioned it in the beginning. You know, I'm really, really passionate about representation. I have a sweater that says representation matters, which I was going to wear today. But I thought, you know, I'll tone it down just for today. But I just, again, couldn't get my head around why these challenges existed. And it was really important to me to not just kind of go to university to hear someone else tell me the answers, but for me to research it for myself and to kind of ask questions, you know, to do my due diligence, to find out, well, what are the barriers that are stopping, you know, young Black people that look like me going further into higher education and moving themselves forwards, onwards and upwards? So... Like I said, it wasn't that lifelong ambition that I know many people had, but I wouldn't change it for the world because ultimately now I've learned so much about myself and it's about kind of paving the way. There is There are so many that have paved the way for me to get here. I now want to be able to pay that forward and pave the way for others so that they don't have to go through some of the same struggles that we've been through or that others have been through to get to where they need to go. No, thank you. And I think that's really, that's really key. Um, because, uh, you know, linking to our, our new segment, uh, Mic Check, where we uh, input some interesting facts and statistics. Uh, we've previously mentioned this uh, statistic before, um, and it was a really interesting uh, bit of research and a study uh, that the UCL's Institute of Education did, uh, and we're lucky enough, uh, so I guess a bit of a, a teaser for future uh, future episode, uh, is we'll be able to get one of these researchers uh, on the, the podcast for you so you guys will be able to hear more about this paper um, but in 2020 uh, December 2020 uh, UCL's Institute of Education released a study uh, that found that within England 46% of all schools have uh, no black Asian or minority ethnic teachers and even 
in uh, ethnically diverse schools, uh, BAME teachers are essentially underrepresented in senior leadership teams. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll include a link to it. So if people do want to, you know, read the whole article or read the paper, they're more than welcome to. Um, but yeah, I think it's like what you said uh, there, Donna, that it's, it's, this, uh, it's this key, I guess this, this lack of representation and this key need for change to happen. Uh, and I think that it's, it's something that's amazing that you're, you're doing, you know, through your PhD. I think it's really good that you, you've, you know, seen that there's this underrepresentation and you want to now, you know, tackle it. And I think that, I think that's, uh, that's as honorable uh, as anything there can be. So uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for that, Donna. Thank you. And I think that, you know, I'm glad that you linked to that report. I've used um, that report for some of my own work as well. Um, and it is, it's just unbelievable when you think about the diversity within the United Kingdom itself, or even if you just look at London and you look at the diversity in our schools, and then you think to yourself, when you see something like 46% you know, of schools don't have any Black, Asian, minority, ethnic, you know, staff representation. It's absolutely crazy to think. And you think about the the richness that that these teachers would bring to the school. And I don't just think that richness is important just for representation for Black and Asian minority ethnic groups on a whole, but just absolutely everyone. You know, the knowledge and the wealth of experience that they're going to bring, schools are missing out on that. And I think when I, I look back on my own undergraduate career and I think about, you know, the young people that I have in schools, um, when I first started teaching in the special school, there was a young Black girl that came up to me and I always remember this. She was quite a high functioning young girl that had autism. And the first day in the class, she said to me, you can't be the teacher. You're black. And I was stunned. But at the same time, I was just so glad to be able to start a conversation because I needed to understand where these thoughts were coming from. And she was, you know, quite open and said to me, you know, we've never I've never seen a black teacher before. I haven't seen a black teacher on TV. They just get in trouble. And it was just so interesting to see someone be able to explain why it was important for her to see someone that looked like her in certain positions. And those are things that have stood with me throughout the test of time and things that I'm, again, I'm remembering all the time. I'm always reminded that, you know, representation matters so much more than we acknowledge. And it's such an important topic that just doesn't necessarily get the discourses enough that it should do. Uh, that's so true. And even, you know, we, we've we said it uh, as a team, whether it's, uh, you know, women's representation or representation uh, for BAME uh, and uh, members of the BAME community. Uh, yeah, it's definitely something that doesn't uh, doesn't get addressed enough. Uh, definitely there's still need, more need for change, uh, especially now more than ever. Uh, and I think, yeah, like you said, it's just about, you know, Especially, I think, uh, you know, we've, we've said this before on the podcast, uh, and we'll probably keep saying it, is that this need for, you know, get getting into, getting into, you know, children's mindsets that, you know, that this isn't, this isn't, you know, I guess this isn't wrong. You know, like you said, uh, with the the young person you were speaking to about them, they've never seen a black teacher before. Now, it's not what she said was wrong. She was just stating a fact. She'd never exactly. seen, she'd never seen a black teacher before. And I think, it's it's that it's you know showing that there's a diversity at a young age and you know even uh, as a team we previously spoke about you know uh BAME with the uh, BAME representation uh, I guess not necessarily within the education system itself but we've done it at higher education as well and I think like you were saying before you know it's seeming that there's not a lot of 
members of staff that necessarily are a part of that community even uh, the guest speaker we had for that episode uh, which was reham um she was saying that on her course as as students yeah there was like a wide range of right. uh, diverse students which is great um but she was saying when it came to the you know the, the academic side of it so the the lecturers and the support staff um yeah she said there was definitely like a lack of that Absolutely. Um, and i think yeah like you said it's just about getting allowing i think first off people to go into these spaces and then when they're in there you know giving them open mind you know um i think uh people we, it was just a conversation i was having with someone that we were saying that hey you know you can't whether it's your university or business or what, whatever you can't necessarily make changes for everyone and not have like a, a group of people who sort of identify or fit into every group um you know Absolutely. the way that you uh as a like for example let's say you're a university the way you might portray a message well you know you might say hey you know these are the new rules when it comes to um to to coursework um you know the way that you come across that or the way that you say it or you know the words you use um is all is all very interesting i know one of my uh, lecturers was saying that he uh he was saying that even and, and it was to do with uh you know something uh, me and john were talking about before we started recording of um you know some of the coursework that i'd been doing and we essentially had to come up with a product and he was saying that when it comes to the product uh you know when it comes to products in general especially mm. with it when it's game uh like board games and things like that um they said they need to be the rules itself or even the way that it works needs to be understood on a universal level because the way that you know you might word something uh in English might not necessarily be the same if you word it in, you know, in French or in Japanese or in Chinese. Um, And it's just this like understanding that, Hey, it's, it's, you know, we, we need to have a diverse range of people there. So it's not just us, um, you know, it's not just us saying something and then, you know, lashing out at people saying, why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you do that? Um, And not understanding that actually there are cultural things that go into that, that, you know, represent things, um, you know, there's, there's more than, you know, I guess the standard of, you know, you might see it as different to you, but it's not, it's not in that culture. If you lived there, it wouldn't be different. Um, That's right. It's not a one size fits all. And I think we we do that a lot. You know, we're very kind of reactive to things rather than being proactive. And, Mm. you know, it is about celebrating our, our, our similarities, but also acknowledging our differences and being able to understand that, yes, culturally, there are some things that are really um, that that don't translate as as simple as just kind of yeah here you go you do this you do this and that's it and we hope for the best it's not that simple and you know even now when I think about that course and being you know someone who potentially wanted to be a teacher I think about some of my other peers you know like my white peers or, or peers from other ethnic minority groups that were going into schools that had no ideas, um, no idea about kind of some of the cultural sensitivity issues around maybe young girls wearing their natural hair, young black girls wearing their natural hair to school or, you know, their 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 tone and the way they dress and their, you know, things that they say and so on. And it's just so important that we acknowledge those things with the premise to change it. Now, I know some people find it really difficult when, you know, you have discussions around representation because the first thing they think is, oh, well, you know, we don't have affirmative action over over here in the UK or, you know, should we really be thinking about just getting black people in here or numbers in because then it becomes tokenistic. 
And, you know, that's a whole nother discussion to have, which we probably wouldn't have a lot of that time for today. But in some ways, yes, you do actually need to get people through the door first to start having discussions and opening those dialogues and then moving things forward. So, yeah, I'm 100 percent with you in terms of kind of just understanding that, yes, we are definitely different by design. And that is, yes, something to be celebrated, but also something to be acknowledged and understood. No, thank you. And that kind of nicely leads on to my my next question. Um, well, I was going to ask you, uh, you know, now there there, there probably are some uh, Brunel listeners uh, on the podcast, and they might already know about this. Um, but you you started uh, the the Black Doctoral Researchers Collective at the university, which is amazing. It's amazing uh, for many reasons. And I guess I w- this this is sort of like a two-parter. So okay. some of our listeners might not necessarily know about it. So the first question would just be if you could just explain a bit more about uh, what the Black Doctoral Researchers Collective is. Uh, and then the second question is what motivated you to create it? Um, you know, it wasn't something that was already at the university. It was something, an initiative that you started yourself. So I guess we want to know what it is and why you you know why what motivated you to to create it and i guess in in sort of linking to that um how does it address you know some of the previous points that we've mentioned awesome all right so hey if any of our brunel listeners are listening hello and any bdrc members what's good um yes so the bdrc for short but it is the black doctoral researchers collective i know that's a bit of a mouthful so i might just say the bdrc moving forward So, okay, what it is first, it is a student-led initiative, just as you said, something that I started really to look at ways to empower um, and engage the Black doctoral researchers that we have at the university. And that's kind of just the shortened version. There wasn't anything like it before. You're absolutely right. So there was, like I say, there's no blueprint. You know, no one left me the manual. I didn't kind of pick this ball up and just said, okay, I'll just take it from here for the final 10 yards. It wasn't like that at all. and I'm really excited about it, but I guess before I even go into kind of some more of the excitement about it, let me tell you why I started it. So when I was doing my master's, so I did my master's at UCL. Um, I did my undergrad at Brunel, did my master's at UCL, very different places. There's a very different sense of community at both places. But it was, again, the same sort of thing, going on to a new space and a new setting and looking at how... Um, Black students were treated, how they understood their roles, what it was that they wanted to do, what they had access to, what they didn't have access to, etc. And I purposely chose to do my um, dissertation, my my master's dissertation on the experiences and challenges of Black postdoctoral researchers. Um, But let's say BAME. I'm not a big fan of the term BAME because, again, which I'll explain in a little while, I feel like we're trying to lump everyone together, but we're all very different. And, you know, it's important to acknowledge that. And throughout conducting that research, I learned so much, you know, so much rich information came to me from these Black, um, Asian minority, ethnic postgraduate students who were talking about just their experiences, you know, of feeling isolated. These were some of the key themes that came out. They felt isolated by their peers um, and supervisors, mainly white peers and supervisors. They felt that anytime they wanted to discuss kind of racialized issues, they were being ignored and it wasn't important. 
they didn't have access to funding and scholarship opportunities and so much more. And also one of the big, you know, kind of key themes that came out of that was also just the, the, the suffering in terms of mentally and emotionally, their lack of well-being, because they felt like they always had to work harder. And, you know, that was kind of like, um, I think, the topic or the heading for my dissertation. It, you, you have to work 10 times harder than your peers. And that's always, always stuck with me. And I thought to myself, OK, if I'm going on to do a Ph.D., how can I change that? What is that going to look like for me? So I looked at Brunel. Was there anything that we had at Brunel that wasn't anything like that already? You know, and, and bear in mind, I'm doing my PhD myself. So I had to really think about this. Plus, I'm a mom, you know, I've got a job. How am I going to juggle all of this? But it goes back to some of what I've said very early on. In order for change to happen, we need to make that first step. You know, in order for anything to move, anything to be sustainable, in order for anything to shift, someone has to start a conversation. And I'm not afraid to be that person. I always say that I like to be the one that's being disruptive for good reason and for a good cause, because it starts people to, it gets people talking and it starts those important conversations that sometimes people are afraid to have. So I used that research that I conducted myself along with the plethora of research that's out there that talks about the experiences and challenges of, um, you know, BAME postgraduate students. And I thought, okay, let me take some of this and think about how I can start some sort of movement or collective that supports and empowers Black doctoral researchers at Brunel. And it kind of just grew out of that, really. It kind of grew out of those experiences that I had through doing my own research, listening to others, meeting people as a first-year doctoral researcher, because it was very different. I had no idea what it was going to be like going into a PhD. You know, I just kind of went in with that same ball of energy I spoke about in the beginning. I thought, okay, I'll figure this out. But ultimately, it is a very different space. It's very different from your undergrad and very different from, you know, your postgrad as well. And I felt like if I had some of these feelings, I can imagine other Black doctoral researchers having those same experiences, thoughts, feelings as well. And I wanted to do something to help them. But it really is thinking about a group that's going to be sustainable. And this is something that I've mentioned to um, the group members that I sent out today. We're now 30 strong, which I'm really, really proud of. You know, it's it only started in September last year. And, you know, one of the things that I will say sometimes can get me is that I, I, I want to do everything here and now. But, you know, it is important to do things properly. It is important to understand that this isn't a race, you know, this is a marathon and we need to take time with this because I want this to be long lasting. I want there to be a legacy here for not just the doctoral researchers that are in place now, but for the black doctoral researchers that are coming up behind us. And as we move forward on into our careers and opportunities as well. So it is kind of looking at the, the purpose of the group and some of the aims of the group here to look at some of the things that we spoke about earlier, to look at access to funding, you know, funding opportunities, scholarship opportunities, not just for new students as well, but for existing students. There are so many students that are on their second or third year that are self-funding, that are working every hour that, you know, God sends to try and make ends meet, trying to study, trying to provide for their family. And it's trying to find ways to support them. It's looking at how we can support, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically, um, you know, Black doctoral researchers. There's a lot of pressure 
And that's cultural pressure, that's socioeconomic pressure. It's coming from so many different angles as a Black doctoral researcher where you just have to get it right. And it's been really kind of intentional about making sure that I've listened to what people have said. This is not just, you know, a collective that is for Donna Marie, it's for everyone. It's for Black doctoral researchers at Brunel to try and make sure that they get the best out of their experience. So I like to think it's about that balance. It's the academic, but it's also the well-being. That to me is really, really important. You know, making sure they have access to um, mentors if they're available, to opportunities to teach, to get experience that when they move on um, past their PhD, they've got that experience that is going to support them, that maybe they can become mentors to undergrads or postgrads as well. So there's so much that I'm hoping to do with the BDRC and as I said it's going to take time <laughs> you know I'm, I'm ticking things off the tick list and then I'm adding 10 more things but I'm really really excited about it you know we've got 30 as I said 30 fantastic members who bear with me while I try and make sense of it all and put things together but it's just for, for all of us, I hope an opportunity to showcase that, yes, as Black doctoral researchers, our experiences are different from white PhD students, from Asian PhD students, from Chinese PhD students, whoever you are. We have similarities, but we do fundamentally have differences. And as I mentioned again, it's so important to acknowledge that without acknowledging those experiences, how can we create change? I know a lot of people were responding to, obviously, the, the brutal murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the countless others across the pond. But we have that in our own backyard as well. We're living with institutionalized racism that has deeply entrenched the academy and education in the United Kingdom for decades, so centuries even. So, you know, we're dealing with a lot, but it's about really kind of thinking we're not now going to just keep reacting to things. We're going to be proactive. We're going to actually make a blueprint that is going to make things change for the times ahead and for the people behind us. Sorry, I feel like I gave you a, a talk your ear off on that one. So I apologize, <laughs> but I'm excited about it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think that's amazing because um, I think all our all our like listeners and watchers can can agree that, like you said, it's it's about being proactive, doing these things, uh, you know, saying, you know, we want to make a change and we're not going to wait for, for others to make that change. We're going to do that change ourselves. And Absolutely. I think that, you know, initiatives like, uh, you know, like the, the one you've set up, is, is clearly an example of, you know, individuals being practiced. So it's great to see that you've got, you know, 30 members and, you know, 30 members plus. Is just still yeah, growing. 30 strong. We're moving up. We've got new people coming in all the time. As soon as they come in, I'm like, hey, can I have a discussion? And that's perfect. <laughs> they can't get too far. 100. No, no. <laughs> but I think you're right. I think, you know, having these... Um, having these groups, having these individuals uh, and having these spaces is really key. Uh, and I think one of the things that you highlighted before we go on to the next question, which I think is really key, is that each group does have a different experience, like you said. Um, you know, like you were saying that it, and I, I think I think a lot of people do do agree um, that, you know, like you said, it, while terms like BAME or people of colour are very good, it sometimes can, like you said, lead to, an overgeneralization of saying, oh yeah, you know, 
we're going to lump it together. Or we might say, hey, you know, as a university, we don't have a lot of BAME. You know, you, you said last year we don't have a lot of BAME members of staff, but actually we do. But it turns out it's only one group within that title is being uh, put into senior management. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's very key that you said that. And it's um, I think that's that's something that, you know, moving forward, it has to be looked at that. You know, whether, uh, like you said, whether you're uh, black or you're Asian um, or any other uh, ethnic group, that each group has has own experience, like different experience, even, you know, within, uh, you know, black students, you can group it by whether they're, uh, you know, African-American, whether they're African, uh, whether they're from the West Indies. Like there's, there's all this, you know, these different things that it just becomes, I guess it becomes a bit. Lazy is maybe too too strong of a word, but it becomes a thing of you just like, hey, you know, you're just going to do one thing, think it's yeah. like a one one uh, solution for everyone, exactly. uh, when actually it's just like, hey, you know, this group actually needs more of this. Uh, this group needs. So, like you said, it might be a case of, hey, um, you know, black students feel like they would prefer to have more mentorship uh, opportunities available to them. Um, you could say that, um, you know. Asian students feel like they actually would love to have more um, personalized teaching. So whether that's, uh, you know, knowing their lecturer's office hours so they can come in and have a one-to-one session because they actually prefer to speak to their lecturer one-to-one than asking them questions uh, on like a, in the lecture. And that was another thing um, that, that, you know, uh, luckily that I've uh, heard from my my lecturers uh, that they were saying that when it comes to how students talk in lectures, they were saying that as well, that, some some people um like some ethnic groups uh socially i guess wouldn't feel comfortable in a large audience asking uh, you know someone older than them you know these questions in a group of people they actually prefer to say hey so and so i just want to meet with you on a one to one even if it's just for like 10 minutes i just want to run through this with you um so yeah so i think that that's that's a key thing uh, to take forward absolutely uh, and it's just so important as you said we talk about some of those nuances that we don't necessarily always have a chance to unpick you know for, for someone as you said someone who is not used to maybe working in a group setting is all of a sudden thrust into this group environment. And, you know, we just expect them to to figure it out. And it's not as easy as that. And that's why I'm really kind of, um, again, kind of connected with the student voice. I was a student rep during my undergrad years. And, you know, there's such power in the student voice. We we often are afraid to use that voice because, again, and, and, and I find that sometimes that's especially if you are black or from a minority ethnic group, because there's so many kind of stereotypes around kind of voice and power and how you use it and, you know, aggression and, and so on, which, again, is a whole other discussion. But it's just so important to be able to harness that voice and use it for the greater good and use it for things that are actually going to benefit students. You know, you pay so much money. To be, to be at university, regardless of what stage you're at. And you should be able to freely and openly be able to come to your university with concerns, with suggestions, with comments, et cetera. And I think it is about kind of building this whole idea of partnership working and not being afraid to say, well, actually, as a student, I need this. So just as you said, I need this. And, you know, I would appreciate if you could accommodate this. These are my solutions or these are the ways that I would suggest we go about it. What do you think? You know, again, that open communication, two-way dialogue, just so important. So, so important. 
No, that, that that is true. And I think one one other thing when you mentioned about student voice that I think is really key uh, before we go on to the next question is uh, I know I know I think other universities do it. They do the national one of like comes every uh, like I think March that they do. Yeah, but I know. Yeah, yeah. And those those are very important. But I know specifically with like Brunel, Brunel have, uh, you know, each academic term for students, they have the U voice uh, surveys that you can do. And I think it's really key to highlight that, uh, like you're saying, I was also a student rep uh, for my course as well. And I know sometimes students kind of forget or think that, you know, hey, this U-Voice survey, it's not important. Like, it's not going to bring about change or anything like that. But actually, no, you know, these meetings when they discuss like, oh, you know, this teach, uh, this lecturer got like this amount of uh, students said that they were satisfied with the class. Uh, you know, a few said actually they didn't like the lecture style or the amount of information in lectures, like it actually does get discussed and get yeah. changed. Um, and especially if you let your student reps know, um, they actually do, you know, cannot ask, like expand on it. So I know that there were times when people were, you know, when stuff was put about, um, you know, they don't, some people didn't like that the lectures weren't recorded. So it meant when it came to revision, they had to rely solely on the lecture slides. And then, you know, if there wasn't a lot of information, nothing could yeah. be done. Uh, and, you know, that was discussed as well, because obviously sometimes, there were issues with like the room we were in, but sometimes it was just a case of the lecturer didn't set up the recording. Uh, and yeah, I think that that's one of the things that we kind of do forget that we feel yeah. like, hey, you know, doing stuff, whether it's the U voice survey or if our student rep says, do you have any issues? I've got a meeting with um, like all the lecturers, let me know and I can talk to them about it. They're just like, um, I'm okay. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> You're not fine. It's honestly, okay. Honestly, and I think especially um, at like a master's level, um, I know that was one of the really nice things um, that happened uh, because our, uh, my, my undergrad was quite small, uh, especially, I guess, with COVID, it sort of like impacted the amount of people that were on the course. Um, but because my course was quite new and it was small, um, we were able to like get the deadlines moved as a group because they would be like, hey, so we know that you've got like a few deadlines on this week. And they were just like, are you okay to, to do it? And, you know, if we said, yeah, like it's not going to change everything. If we say like, actually we would, we would want it changed, you know, we wouldn't have had it changed, but we did. Right. And it's that case of saying, Hey, you know, if there is something that you want changed, whether it's a deadline or you feel like actually you want to let a lecturer know that, Hey, I, I feel like you're going to the lecture slides too quickly or, Hey, I don't really understand when you use all these acronyms in the lecture and you don't actually say like this acronym means this. Right. Um, like that, I think that's one of the key things that I guess students should do, and that's one of the things that you know, even even lecturers say them, themselves that you know they can't change anything if they don't know it's an issue. Um, right. And if you're just True. sitting there saying, "Yeah, the, the lecture slides are great," or you know, "Hey, um, you know, I feel like we're really supported. Our, our revision sessions are going really well," um, then yeah, you'll never know. I guess you'll never get that change if you don't actually go about and do it. And I think that's a that's a key thing that you've said there. You were which speaking is... facts, absolute <laughs> hashtag facts is what Thank I would you. say. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, but now going on to the next question, um, I know we briefly touched on it on our previous one mm-hmm. um, about you know this idea of is there a lack of representation uh, when it comes to people of color within doctoral programs um but i guess maybe uh you know don't feel like you have to specifically talk about your experience if you mm. you know the experience of others you're more than welcome to um but essentially is there a lack of representation when it comes to uh 
to doctoral programs, whether this is from, you know, the students on the course or whether, like you said, it's the, the more academic side, the lecturers that, uh, or the, the mentors that help support this. Um, yeah, just want to know, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I 100% wholeheartedly think there's always this underrepresentation. And I think that underrepresentation, sadly, extends across the board. So that does extend from the student population. So PhD students going on to do a PhD, for example, um, academic staff, uh, you know, staff in different areas and so on, you know, non-academic staff or whatever the case may be, everything down to kind of books that you read or subjects. So, you know, it does extend across the board. And, you know, it's great to know that numbers are moving in the right direction. But for me, underrepresentation is always going to be an issue until we deal with some of the more stronger issues like we've talked about institutionalized racism you know things that are so deeply ingrained in society have a knock-on effect on absolutely everything else you know so that's whether it's things that we watch on tv the representation we see on television to you know the 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 access to jobs and funding and some of the other things that we've spoken about so the underrepresentation is definitely there you know i know that a lot of people will say that well look many students don't want to to do um, a PhD for a number of reasons. And that's absolutely true. There are a plethora of reasons, again, why students don't go on, Black students in particular, don't go on to do a PhD. Some of those are cultural. I know for myself, my parents are from the Caribbean. So, you know, I, I grew up from, you know, with West Indian parents who are very specific about get your education and then go to work because that's the way it was for them. You know, they didn't even necessarily talk about get an education up to kind of masters. It was like, you know, high school is fine if you go on to college great but then you go out to work and you raise your family and then the cycle repeats itself over and over again you know in other black communities it's very different it's like no you go on to be you know do your your undergraduate masters your doctorate you go as high as the the education ladder can take you so it's very very different so yes you're seeing some representation coming through but we do again have to understand why you know those numbers are low but I do think there's more that we could be doing to challenge that. There's, there's always more that we could be doing to change that narrative. There's always more that we could be doing to support Black students. We get the numbers in the door at undergrad level, and then it starts to tail off at postgrad, and then it starts to fall off you know, drastically at PhD. And it's when you know, you go to these meetings or you read these reports and it's the same things that just tell you exactly what we've just said. Yes, there's not enough students, Black students in particular, going on to do a PhD. Yes, you know that. Now let's tackle why that is and what we're going to do about it. Because that's sometimes, I think, where we get stuck. We just stay in that loop where, yep, this is the, the cycle. This is what's happening. Black students aren't going on to do their PhD. Why? Well, these are the reasons why. Okay, and then the conversation ends there. But what are we actually going to do about that? And sometimes for me, it's simple things sometimes that make a huge difference. So when you're thinking about, you know, and these discussions are are being held now, but when you're thinking about maybe Black academics applying for jobs in universities and so on, and you're still not doing blind, you know, recruitment processes like taking off names and, and ethnicity and things like that, and you know, maybe you're having interviews and, you know, people don't understand, again, cultural sensitivities and differences. There's barriers there that need to be broken. There's barriers there that need to be spoken about. There's training that needs to be happening. There's things that needs to be discussed. Or if there are no Black academics on a course, for example, yet we're not 
kind of, you know, allies are not doing their due diligence and their own work and thinking, well, actually, maybe I can get a guest speaker from another university to come and, and talk about this cultural topic. Or maybe I can do some of the work myself and think about how I can integrate more diversity into the course. Maybe that's through the reading list, you know, the work that we do. We had a great initiative a few years back um, where it was kind of diversifying the library, um, which was absolutely brilliant. But we don't do enough of that. And that's where, again, it goes back to what I've said before. We are proactive. We wait till something happens. We wait till people protest. Um, we wait till people are up in arms. It's like, OK, we've got to do something. We've got to show our support. Well, actually, if you show your support now and it's continuous, that makes it sustainable and people are more likely to believe and buy into that. So there's definitely still this underrepresentation. I, I know it's not something that's going to change overnight. I don't make any bones about that. I don't think, you know, we can snap our fingers no matter how many great initiatives are happening. But I do think we need to still be doing more. I think we always need to be asking ourselves, well, actually, what more can we be doing? What more can I do? What help do people need? How can this be done? No, that's that's definitely definitely agree with that. And I think, uh, like you're saying, uh, so two, two things I want to say to that is definitely the first thing you're saying about you know culturally there there is uh, you know when it comes to education there's that that uh, the different viewpoints on how how that works. I think definitely uh, one of the my sister recently got me into. Um, uh, this podcast, uh, I don't know if you know of it, it's called Jesus and Jalof. Uh, it's Ooh. got uh, Yvonne Orji and uh, Lavi. Uh, they're both uh, Nigerian uh, Americans uh, and they're living there. And uh, Yvonne Orji, uh, she originally uh, started out doing medicine. Um, and she like said that her parents, you know, really wanted her to do it. They were just like, you know, you're going to go, gonna go get your education, do, do this, go do that. And then she, she, you know, she has a really interesting story of, you know, she, she left, she said she, she didn't want to do, um, you know, going to medicine anymore. At one point, she was just like, "It's not for me." Right. Um, and I think, like you said, it's that thing of you know, culturally, we've all there's there's different aspects. So you can't just say, "Hey, you know, we're gonna open up." And you know, we touched on this before. You can't just say you're gonna open up. Hey, we're gonna prioritize having like six of our uh, positions, for example. We want to increase each year by having a, a number of black students or a number of Asian students in these positions without taking into account of, hey, if you look, like you're saying, across the board, if, uh, how many students, you know, uh, start their undergrads and end it? Um, you know, there was an interesting statistic uh, that I don't know off the top of my head, but it was saying that if you look at it um, when it comes to, uh, I think I was specifically talking about BAME students in general, but it was saying right. if you look at like, uh, I guess how many start an undergrad to basically like you were saying like phd they just said the drop-off is like significant on all three you know P uh, undergrad postgrad phd you just see a massive drop-off especially they said when it comes to undergrad uh to the point where sometimes um some of these students don't even finish their undergrad they just drop off because they say hey it's too much or hey you know they didn't want to do this course um or they, you know, sometimes think, uh, you know, hey, that there's alternative, you know, they only wanted to do it so they could gain money. They could like get the, the skills to start their own business That's, or they want to. No one get wants ripped. to leave with £30,000 in debt. A hundred percent. And it's just, and I think that's that's the the thing that they need to think about. That hey, you know, if we are going to start saying that, you know, like, for, like you were saying, that like if university fees increase, there needs to be that understanding of, Yes, while some people might be perfectly cool with, hey, I can just, you know, pay it off afterwards or hey, you know, 
my family can afford to just pay it all all at once, you know, take it. Um, like there, there's some families that won't be able to. And it needs to be that that case of, hey, there, there's how can we encourage people to still, you know, whether it's going through higher education, whether it's doing things like apprenticeships, like how can we still encourage that these students don't just drop off uh, and, you know, they keep staying on. Um, and the second thing that you, you were talking about, um, you know, in your segment about how it's about seeing the, the, you know, seeing these people when it comes to it, you know, more, more, more initiatives again about this idea of proactiveness is definitely key that when we, we start to see more people, like ourselves like as doctors or as um doing phds that that's when we'll say hey you know it's really interesting i didn't know so and so did a phd if they could do a phd then i can do a phd um and especially when you know it's someone who who might be from the same country as you or have a similar background story to you then you'll be like hey if that person can do it um then i can do it too Uh, and i think um yeah, and I think it links to, uh, you know, uh, I guess for any of anyone who follows us on Instagram knows uh, that we like to do some Tuesday motivations. Uh, and it literally, you know, by coincidence, links to the one we put out today of, you know, people should never be ashamed of their story um, because it literally says that your your story will inspire others. And I think that's that's a key thing uh, to take into account from you what you said. Speaking to me, Jeffrey, if I could snap <laughs> and give my church clap one time, I'm <laughs> telling you never be ashamed of your story and I think you know that's something that again has touched me because as I said you know I'm the mother of a young black son who has severe autism and that's a huge part of what my research is about and you know I often think to myself there's someone out there that has a very similar story but because research doesn't focus on those stories you don't see it you so it's not on tv it's not the story that you hear it's not the story that you're told so you can't see yourself it doesn't resonate with you and that's what people need to see they it it, all it takes is a little snapshot of your story to resonate with someone else and it opens up so many doors it opens up endless possibilities and those are things that are so important um something that you just reminded me of if you don't mind just to finish that point was just where um you were talking about, we're talking about representation again. So there are some courses where the representation of black PhD students is probably oversubscribed in maybe kind of like the business ones and computer sciences and things like that. Because again, those are 10, those are what we've been told are more lucrative careers. And, you know, people really enjoy that. That's where the money is. We've got to think about the world and technology that we live in now are very different times from our parents, grandparents, etc. But there are still other courses where there are literally there's just almost the representation is just non-existent. You know, some of those courses like history or anthropology, for example, where, you know, they need to think about new and creative ways to try and get, you know, black or, or any kind of minority ethnic group through the doors and kind of help them understand that their research is important. And that's why I was talking about kind of that discussion around race-related issues as well, especially when it comes into research, because a lot of research that isn't done, it just, it's just not done yet. That's how I see it. It's just undiscovered. 
But that's because it's, again, it's a story that someone hasn't yet told. And sometimes people are afraid to do that. And that's what we need to do. We need to start being being open to telling our story. Stop erasing our past. Stop being afraid to say, well, hey, I'm from, you know, this part of Africa. I'm from this part of the Caribbean. These are my experiences and my lived experiences because they count for so much. So I, I absolutely agree with you. When you talk about stories, that's for me something I'm just extremely passionate about. So I'm glad you you mentioned that. No, no, no. It's it's so true, and I think that that's one of the things that we, like you're saying, that sometimes we forget. But even though, uh, like I've, I've said it before, and you know, one of the things that uh, both my parents really, really say to me, and it's it's all whenever you know stuff like this comes up, it's really interesting. Is they're saying that you know you might not understand why you went through a certain thing, um, but they were saying that hey, it might not even be for you to go through it. it it might just be a case that hey someone can look and say hey this person like did it and they've come out and they've been able to do it and I think like you said that especially when it uh you know when it comes to certain groups there is this tendency of hey we need to you know it's not about getting an education to do something you enjoy or doing you know a subject where it might not necessarily bring in a lot of money, mm-hmm. um, but there's this emphasis of, hey, you know, if you do like, you know, something like business or if you do something like, um, you know, a course on entrepreneurship, you're going to be focused on how you can, you know, corner the market and, you know, go into cryptocurrency and all of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it's just that case of, you know, it's it's not really for everyone. Um, and I know that there are loads of people who have, whether it's siblings or cousins or family friends who, you know, saying, hey, uh, you know, I might be at secondary school now, but I definitely want to do like study IT because I want to, you know, go into to business studies and mm-hmm. I want to, you know, look into how like cryptocurrency stuff can be used. Um, and it's like, you need to understand as well that there's, I guess, more like even like you were saying that there's more information when you look at it. Uh, so whether it's, uh, you know, like history, um, I'm a I'm a massive history fan and I, I'm, I'm a brother is as well. And we both like like learning history, I guess, you know, whether on different things or whether that's, yeah. you know, just your, your typical, you know, history of a country or history of like a certain period of time or whether it's, you know, like something that goes down more your interest so if you're interested in gaming what's the how did gaming develop you know what was the right. first video game how did that work how has it changed or like how did it establish things like that and it's just i think like you said it's just seeing the the fun side of it and knowing that it's it's always better to do something that you enjoy that you can wake up every day and you're just like this is you know i get to do this this is amazing rather than hey I'm doing something that I know I don't like, but hey, right. I'm going to get the benefits of being rich, or I'm going to get the benefits of bringing in money, and exactly. it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just not, it's not good for, I guess, even on a like you're saying about well-being, it's not good when it comes to that because um, even like my my dad was saying uh, like that about jobs, he was saying yeah. that you want to be able to wake up, uh, you know, every day, and you're just like, I get to do this job and I enjoy it. And, you know, if you I'm not saying, you know, that and I understand, especially during COVID, people weren't necessarily doing their ideal jobs. Right. But you were saying that, like, when it comes to jobs, people shouldn't feel like just because one job is giving them more money that they have to, like, stay in that job. Um, Because I think, like you were saying, that, you know, education is there throughout the whole time. So even if you, you know, you you. I, like I know people who who waited you know ages before they did their undergrad. Um, yeah. Literally, one of my one of the people on the team, uh, so uh, listeners might know him, uh, Samuel. Um, he was saying that uh, there was someone on his master's course that was sixty. She she just came back and was just like, "Hey, you know, 
I'm really interested in psychology. Um, you know, I just I just thought, you know, I've worked a bit. I want to go into, you know, go back, do a bit of education again and just, you know, see where it takes me. And I think that that's one of the things that we do kind of forget that, you know, hey, you can just come back. You know, you don't have to stick with what you've got. You can say, hey, actually, I want to try something else. Um, you know, one day you might say, hey, I've I've been a bus driver for like, 12 years but actually you know what I've really loved being I really love the idea of being a teacher so today I'm gonna go and I'm gonna start working towards being a teacher or you might be like hey I was a teacher I want to go and start my own business um or be a consultant or whatever um like the 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 world's your oyster there's so many opportunities available for you no matter the age or stage you're at doesn't matter what you can do and be whatever you want to and you know that's something that I've been fortunate enough to see myself going back as a mature student so it doesn't matter what age or stage you're at in life you can do and completely turn your life around so it's just so important but you do have to believe in yourself even when everyone else will doubt you even when you know the naysayers will come and those doubts will creep in believe me as a PhD student myself and I'm first generation I still get those imposter syndrome feelings I still get oh should I really be here or do I really belong here and I have to do everything I can to say actually yes you do you've worked hard to get here and you're going to stay here and you're going to remember how hard you've worked to get here so you're right it doesn't matter how old you are and you know we had a nice little mature student crew as part of my under undergrad um click when I was when I was an undergrad which was absolutely brilliant because it was we all had our different careers and here we are starting afresh to become teachers or you know whatever it was but it was just absolutely fantastic when you actually dig deep and you realize that actually no one can take away what's inside you no one can take away that passion you just have to believe possibilities are endless no, that's that's so true. And I think that nicely leads on uh, to my next question, which is we, we've spoken uh, you know, just now about going back to, to education, doing some opportunities. Now, there might be some people listening that are thinking, wow, don't worry, you, you, you've done an amazing job, at, you know, talking about why PhDs are interesting, why they're really fun. And they might be thinking, OK, I'm looking to do a PhD now. Uh, so our question to you is, what's one piece of advice, one, one piece of advice you think super key that you would give them? Um, you know, they're thinking of applying now to do a PhD. What's the one thing that they should be thinking about doing? My, my first advice would be to do it. That's absolutely first. Like, don't even second guess yourself. Absolutely do it. But I would say do something that you are extremely passionate about and connected to you are going to spend full-time three four years part-time double that doing your research and it's just so important because you're going to live eat breathe this this is going to be part of your family your adopted family member you're you're never letting this go and you know this is going to be quite influential in whatever discipline you're in so just make sure it's something that you are really really connected to Um, And that would be the best advice I would give anyone. Don't worry about kind of the logistics of it all. I know sometimes those are the things that come up first. Like, how can I, how will I be able to afford it? Or can I work and do it? And all of those things are things that I ask myself, you know, how will this interfere with my family life, with my work, et cetera. All of those things will come in due time. You slot those into place the same way you would navigate any other thing you do in your life. But I think the most important thing or the best piece of advice I would give someone is just to make sure you are passionate and connected to your subject or whatever it is you want to do. 
Thank you. Uh, and that, that is amazing. Uh, so yeah, anyone anyone listening wants to do a PhD? You've heard it do here it. first. Yeah, you do it. <laughs> Come shout me out. Listen, I have no problem sitting down and discussing why you should do it. I'll give you all the pros. I'll give you the cons too, because I'm honest like that. You know, I want you to make an informed decision. But I just want you to just really believe in yourself. You know, it's not... I won't pretend and say it's easy. It's not like what your undergrad is or your postgrad, or even if you've not done, you know, any kind of formal studying for a long time, you may go a different route. You might do, you know, like an ed doc or something different. There's so many different routes into it. But the first thing is to just make, make, do the application, take that first step. And again, find something that you're really passionate about. I think that's one of the things I love about kind of being a doctoral researcher is I do actually love research because I'm getting to find answers and uncover things for myself. So, you know, like I said earlier on, I don't want someone to tell me the answer. I want to find the answer for myself. And I want to have a debate if I don't agree with your answer. Let's talk about it. So, yeah, definitely do it. And please hit me up anytime. I'm still kind of working on Jeffrey here to have this discussion about his. But, you know, if you do want to have if you do want to do it please feel free i'm happy to just talk about it with anyone oh, thank you very much and we'll uh, include the details below so you can get in contact with donna marie um but yeah we've now come to the, the last question before i no. hand the mic over to you and you ask me your question that you've prepared for me um but we we want to know what are you, you know, you've told us about your PhD, you've told us about all the initiatives you've been doing at Brunel, which is amazing. But what do you want to do after your PhD is done? Let's, we're looking in the future, PhD is yeah. done, you've given, given the award. What's, what are the plans for you? So my Michael Jackson impersonation is out. I reckon, <laughs> I'm only kidding. I would really love to be an academic. I would really love to be an academic that specializes in race, um, special education and kind of the intersections of, of higher education. So how race, identity and special education work and race related issues in higher education. I'd love to be the academic that I wish I saw when I was doing my undergrad or doing my postgrad for that matter. So, yeah, that's that's the, the next ambition. That's the next on the, the goalpost, I should say, after where we're at now. So that's what I'm hoping for. By God's grace, he's got me this far and I'm truly grateful. I'm blessed. You know, if without God, I wouldn't have been where I am now. So I just want to continue to work hard and, and continue to, to do all that I can to, to get to that next stage. Wow, that, that is wonderful. And yeah, who knows? Uh, you know, some of these listeners might even end up being your students. So uh, <laughs> I'm a whole load of fun. I can tell you all that now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really good. And, you know, I definitely I can definitely see you being a really good academic. So thank uh, you. You are know, too kind. Because you're my new favorite person. Because, you know, I'm trying <laughs> to get you to do your PhD. <laughs> so seeing as I get to take the mic now, first of all, let me just say thank you so, so much again for having me. It's been absolutely fantastic being here. It's my first podcast. I was a little nervous, but you put me at ease. You're an absolutely great host. So thank let you. me give you props <laughs> on that first. And it was just great. It really did feel like just having a conversation with a friend. So thank you so, so much. You're very welcome. So this is to you and the team. And I know all the team's not here. So I know that obviously we're in January and, you know, it's typically the time where we think about kind of reflections and, you know, resolutions and aspirations. And something that I think about is kind of being intentional as we move forward into the new year. So what would you say was your biggest challenge in 2021? 
And what are three aspirations for Pick Up the Mic in 2022? Oof, so oof. a two-parter. Two-parter. Oh. Biggest challenge last year and then three aspirations for the coming year. Um, I'd say the biggest challenge uh, for, for Pick Up the Mic in 2021 was most likely the fact that like, um, like it was... It wasn't, I guess, it, the fact that it wasn't a planned thing wasn't a challenge, but I'd say it was more of the case of, like, because Pick Up The Mic wasn't originally going to be a, um, it wasn't originally going to be a podcast. Uh, it was just going to be, like, a speaker series that we were, I was going to do with some friends. Um, and the fact that it turned into a podcast meant that, like, not a lot of people knew about it. So I think one of the biggest challenges, uh, especially, like, for that first couple of episodes, was just being like, hey, you know, not not a lot of people might actually know about this and just you know whether it like with instagram um or like with linkedin you know sending invites to friends and family or like people i've worked with to be like hey you know i've got this thing you might not know about it but here it is check it out and then you know sometimes you might see that hey uh you know especially like even as a team like we always find it funny that um our first episode is like one of our most listened to episodes but we all just feel like in that first episode we just felt like we were all so awkward when we were doing it that like when we listen back we're just laughing but we're just like the fact that people go back and what listen to it just shows that they really did enjoy it um but yeah I think it was that it was just like getting it started was probably like one of the biggest challenges uh and yeah literally it's coming up to uh, I think March 9th this year will be the the one year anniversary of our first episode so yeah Yay! we're looking looking forward to that and then um and yeah there'll be a few things that we're, we're doing for that so we'll, like everyone I guess will keep an eye out but yeah I think it was just it was just that that like getting started you know um getting used to not I guess not seeing like a massive growth immediately because right. um, I've, I've previously uh, like I still do uh, like a course project that I started uh, which did stuff about like sustainable fashion and that was really fun but I think with that because I did it like outside of the pandemic I was able to you know invite do like host events I was able to like invite people to come uh, you know speak in person at these events so it meant that like hey even if I can't necessarily utilize like Instagram and stuff. It meant that, Hey, I could actually, you know, just, you know, invite people along. They might share it with their friends and then you know, we can bring some followers in that way. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it was just that case of like getting started and like, you know, I don't have any pod previous podcasting experience. No one on the team does. So we were all just like, Hey, you know, let's just see how this goes. We were just like, if people like it, great. Um, if people don't, fine. But like, we really want people to, to, I guess, benefit from what we're saying and know that like, we've all got, you know, different, different backgrounds. We've all know of different like support services that have helped us or helped friends and family. Um, and we want to highlight these to people. Um, and we were saying that, hey, even as, as a whole, like the pandemic's just been difficult. So we just want to say like, you know, these are some resources that can help young people. These can help like uni students who want to go into, um, you know, who want to do whether it's a placement or they want to, you know, look for graduate opportunities, um, whether they're like young people and they want to go to university, like this is what you should expect. So these are some of the things that can happen. Um, and yeah, I think it was just that. And then, you know, it's been really good. We've received a lot of support. Um, you know, we've really loved using the, 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 uh, pl platform we use uh, to do the audio stuff which is uh, Buzzsprout and that's been like really fun to use um, because it's meant that we can like put it out on like loads of different platforms right um, which has been like and that was the other thing that we weren't sure we were just like because 
I think when we were starting, we were just like, hey, so what's the best platform? Like, where's the best place we could put it? Because we were just like, hmm, you know, a lot of people have Spotify. Um, but then we were saying, hey, but you know, some people might only use Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts and we don't want to lose out on an audience. Um, but yeah, Buzzsprout's really great because it allows us to have it on multiple ones. Um, and yeah, it's been really good to do that. And I think three aspirations for 2022. Um, I think first off uh, is definitely like do more, I guess, fun stuff uh like not not like the stuff that we do already isn't fun it's fun Um, i had fun (laughs) but we 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 just felt like as and you know we briefly started it and we've got a couple of episodes uh coming out as well in the future about this um but yeah we just wanted to like i guess expand on like what we already do um because like we we all have like different interests so like i know one of the things um which was interesting uh was like our previous uh guest uh joanna um she was saying that she's like a massive marvel fan and i was like hey i'm a massive marvel fan like see another massive marvel fan (laughs) so i was literally just like hey you know this is this is something that you know while it's not necessarily what we do normally about like promoting support services things like that um like that's something that we could go down um so i think yeah doing more I guess stuff that, you know, isn't necessarily solely, um, you know, pick up the mic or isn't just solely like more, you know, question-based stuff. It's more of that, you know, community-based things, like whether it's just an episode or a recording about like discussing Marvel theories or whether it's, you know, like a gaming one about like, you know, whether it's through Twitch or we're just talking about like upcoming games and stuff and our predictions, like things like that, I think definitely is something that I want to do a lot more of. Um, Number two, I would say, uh, I guess, working with more wonderful speakers like yourself. Um, I think, you. you know, one of the things that I've, I've, uh, I've like we, we said uh, before, is it's been really great to speak with different individuals. Um, I think like you were saying before about, first off, about these differences. Um, but a key thing that you mentioned before that I didn't actually comment on was, like you were saying, the talking to different universities has been really interesting, especially like, um, you know, uh, for this season, we spoke uh, with uh, the women's, uh, I've forgotten the name, we spoke with uh, the women, yeah, Women in Medicine um, and Healthcare Society at Barts University. Um, And they've been really good. It was really good to like learn about what they do uh, and like learn how they work. Um, You know, we've spoken to current Brunel students, ex-Brunel students, um, you know, we spoke to, friends uh you know even like through the podcast i found out that um one of the guest speakers that we had uh morgan um he was a close friend of samuel and i had no idea about this like at all it was just a case yeah exactly it was just this idea of like a small world and i was just like when he um when we like we i brought him on the show and i was like telling the team hey i got this guy called uh, morgan he wants to be on the show um yes my friend samuel was just like you, you mean well, this Morgan? I was like, yeah, how do you know? And he was just like, yeah, we're good friends. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's one of the things that definitely has been really fun. Um, like, and that's one thing I want to do more of, just working with more guest speakers, um, you know, and I guess it links to that first one of doing more fun content with them as well. Um, and I think lastly, I just want to, I guess, ooh, I think I think it's 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 doing with like, getting and showing i guess our what who we are i guess um because i think one of the great things um both through like uh using buzzsprout uh because it'd be this amazing thing of like these like q a's so like oh if you've just started podcasting like here's some tips and stuff or like stuff like that and i've even used like 
been using pick up the mic to like follow like content creators so to know like hey if you want to do a reel here's some ideas or like what are the best apps to use what you should avoid when you're doing like reels and stuff and that's really good um but i think like as a as a team we just want to grow ourselves and just use the and you know it's really good to to learn about you know these different opportunities so i know um in one of our episodes like i i said that i didn't know that uh through my course that um we did like an assessment on it and the person was saying that you could work with Netflix as like an environmental, I don't know what the official job title is, but essentially it's like, Hey, if Netflix or a film company are going to do a film, like they're going to film something in like a, in the, like a field or they're going to be in like an environment where they're going to have to like cut down trees and stuff. You can ensure that they do it in like the most environmentally friendly way um and you yeah you can be a part of the like team that's all about like hey if they're doing I don't know like like Bridgerton season two or three like hey if you want to know how to they might be like hey we want to film a scene in the forest and we want to bring all these like trailers in and build these sets um and they might be like hey we want to know how can we make this like environmentally friendly like how can we ensure that we're not like damaging the environment or you know mm. we're bringing in like non non-native species that could get rid of the species that already exist in the area so i think that's really good um and yeah i think that's been really fun already like learning tips and tricks from other people in the team from guest speakers like yourselves um and yeah it's been really good um so i think i think that there, there's one more i guess i want to say and i guess that's um my, my hope, you know, depending on how things go uh, with the with the restrictions as such. Um, but yeah, I think one of my hopes is also is to to meet because, you know, obviously I've, I've done a lot of like online stuff with uh, right. you know, our guest speakers. Um, but yeah, definitely to meet meet with our guest speakers in person, um, because some of these people, you know, um, I had I've only just met them through Instagram, like, you know, whether they're recommended by a friend, like some of them are friends, some of them are family, some of them are people like yourself that go to the same university. Um, But yeah, some of these people I've like never met before. Um, So definitely like the opportunity to, I guess, meet them in person to just, you know, speak to them and uh, just, you know, learn a bit more. But I guess, you know, have that personal interaction um, would be good. And I'm going to sneak in one more because it just came to me. Go for it. Go for gold. Uh, my one more is is I've been like writing a list of like because uh, one of the things that uh, that like that and I definitely would recommend for anyone listening uh, Jesus Central Off is a really great podcast especially I would say because uh, I know my sister like was listening to it she loves it and she was saying that even like just as a uh, as a Nigerian to hear I guess like what other Nigerians are going to a similar ages uh, you know when they're talking about you know your parents speaking to you about like the way you cook food or, you know, the way that you, you, the way that you like dress or things like that. Like they said, like, that's been really, really fun. Uh, And I think one of the things that that podcast really did um, when they were talking about like this, this idea of like um, manifestation boards. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you writing that this is what you want to do in a year or this is it. And yeah. So from that, I've written a list of like guest speakers um, that I would love to have on the show. And yeah, my, man, my my aspiration this year is to get at least one of these guest speakers on, um, you know, whether it's, you know, I don't know, through the university, they, they get them on or through they're whether... coming on. We're yeah. speaking it into existence. We don't care how they get here. They're as coming. long as they're here. And they're that, coming. It's, exactly. it's out in the universe and we're going to hold on to that. I love that. Yeah, because I think even like uh, one of the things that they were saying as well is um, like, I guess getting rid of this mindset of, you know, you've reached this point, now you want things to happen. And um, 
it sort of links to to another podcast I guess I was listening to um which I think is comedy gold mines um and it's just with, it's by Kevin Hart and he interviews like uh, these comedian uh, comedians every week uh, and one of the episodes he did was with Trevor Noah and I spoke about this quote that he said that hey you know Trevor Noah was basically saying that he's tired of I guess this mindset of you know he's gonna work until he gets up to this point and now he can start like enjoying I guess things or now he can start bringing things uh, you know in and bringing guest speakers um but he was saying no that actually you know he's now in the mindset of actually I'm I'm here I'm now I'm gonna enjoy it now I'm gonna you know put things out there now I'm gonna start whether it's you know sending invites to you know these speakers you know and even if you feel like and I think that's one of the key things that he raised that even if you feel like it's like unknown, like loads of speakers have said no. Um, all you just need is that one speaker to say yes. Uh, and I think that was a really interesting thing that he, he said in that episode that I had no idea about this, but um, when he started uh, on The Daily Show, he said that like, no, he was emailing like all these like guest speakers to come on and he was saying like, hey, can you can you be on my show? Like, we'd love to interview you. And they were just like, no, we're okay. You know, da, da, da. And then he said like, he emailed uh, his team, I guess, emailed Kevin Hart and Kevin Hart was just like, yeah, sure. I'd, I'd love to be, I'd love to be a guest. And I think like from that and him saying that, you know, like it like Kevin Hart, I guess, took a, took a chance on him. Like he might not necessarily know who he was, but he was just like, Hey, this is something that's great. And I want to take part in that. I think that's one of the things that, you know, like, the these speakers on the list that I would love to to bring them on is not because you know I don't know they want to promote themselves or they want to like you know they want to get paid to do it um you know I want them to come on because they're like actually you know I genuinely agree with this message that these guys are promoting and I actually right. want to I want to help them so yeah I think that would be my those would be my aspirations for 2022 uh who knows we might next year do do what uh, 2023 looks like um I'm excited but, for you listen uh, I can you. only see nothing but greatness for pick up the mic for you and the team we're speaking it into existence I pray that God will bless you guys abundantly because what you're doing is absolutely fantastic and great so mm-hmm. i i can see those aspirations and we're turning them into intentions they're going to happen they are now intentions and they're going to happen amen thank you no thank you so much that that's really that's really that's really nice um and i think yeah i think that's one of the things um that i really really do like um and i guess i, I you know i'm gonna slide one one, 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 one. I promise the last one. <laughs> love before. it, love it. Listen, I could <laughs> if I could. Go ahead. <laughs> I think one more uh, before I move on to the MC of the month section is I really do want, I guess, our audience to 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 be to be involved. Um, you know, whether this is through like live events, whether this is through in-person events, um, I do want them to feel like they are, I guess, heard. Um, because you know, I know that there are like sometimes whether it's like with uh, content creators in general, or whether it's just like with podcasters or whatever. Like sometimes it can feel like as an audience, you know, your second thought because this person's like getting paid to promote this thing or to do this thing. Um, but one of the things that I've always loved about uh, some of the content, I guess, some of the people I like follow on YouTube or watch on YouTube. Uh, like there's one guy I watch. Uh, his name is called Rad Brad, and he's a he's a YouTube gamer. Um, like one of the things I always love is that he's always willing to try. I guess whatever. It's his interest. It's not necessarily, you know, if his audience like it, even if he's not really big on it, you know, he'll he'll do it. And I think that's one of the things that definitely in the future I'm I'm looking forward to. Uh, you know, whether our audience want us to, you know, do more stuff on gaming or Marvel or DC or whatever. Like I'm I'm looking forward to, you know, being able to, you know, support them. And you know, who knows? In the future, it might be 
you know, subscribe to uh, our Patreon page and you get like a T-shirt or a pen or something like that. So, yeah, I think... Ready to get some merch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd like to pick up the, the mic mug, actually. So, oh, yeah, good. we, we well, need yeah. to see that happening. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, yeah, I think that, that's one of the things. Like, definitely, um, you know, I know some of our audience members have been uh, involved, especially before even, I guess, the first episode was out. So, definitely, I want to give, you know, show them a way that, hey... You know, we really appreciate what you do. Uh, you know, really appreciate all that support you've given. And yeah, definitely, definitely work with them a lot more in the future. Um, but yeah, I think that, that nicely uh, leads on to our MC of the month section. Uh, and for, for this episode, you know, we, we've, we've spoken about a lot of wonderful initiatives, uh, as you've already heard of. Uh, you know, you've heard of the Black Doctoral Researchers Collective, uh, which is a great initiative and you know, great, great shout out for, for, for our MC of the month. But, we, you know, we had to, we had to, we, you know, we sometimes mix, mix and match. We sometimes do two. Uh, and for today's episode, in addition to that, we're also talking about uh, Brunel's Doctoral Research Society. Uh, now, when it comes to this, and I, you know, I've previously said this when it, we mentioned Brunel uh, initiatives, we're not just solely talking about the university uh, being the MC. If there are doctoral researchers societies at your university, these are also things that you could get involved in. Um, they are also our MCs of the month. And essentially, uh, you know, as I said, I'm specifically talking about Brunel because that, that those are the ones that we're talking about today. Um, so the one at Brunel, um, you know, they uh, have over 200 doctoral researchers and their aim is, and I think it's very key, is to inspire a supportive community uh, of doctoral researchers and postgraduate students at the university. And I think that that's very key. That's very important, you know, especially as we we see, you know, not only, you know, when it comes to what we touched on today about like well-being and, you know, looking after each other as, as a, you know, as a collective, as a group. Um, but we also know that when it comes to in general, when it comes to academics, that sometimes we just need that community, you know, that community that even if they don't do the same subject as you, you know, they're all, whether it's master's students who feel like one year, they one year is too short for the amount of work that you're doing. Um, whether you're, um, you know, third year students and you feel like, hey, a couple of months for your dissertation is not enough. Um, like it is good to have that network of people that, you know, are going through the same thing as you and they're able to support you. Um, and in addition to, you know, the things that I've mentioned, the, the Doctor Researchers Society at Brunel, they do a wide range of amazing things. Uh, they host different events. So some of them are webinar series uh, where they bring on amazing guest speakers to talk about different topics. Some of these are actually lunches. So they had a Christmas lunch as well. Um, and some of them, you know, it gives the opportunity to speak about, you know, if you're if you're not doing a, a a PhD already, you know, learning about what other people are doing, you know, learning about what you could possibly do your PhD on, you know, sometimes I think like uh, Donna Marie was saying that sometimes it might not necessarily be the traditional route, so you might not necessarily want to do a PhD itself, but there are other things that you could do. Um, you know, I know that there's been, especially when it comes to like third year students, I know that there have been third year students who have supported, um, you know, PhD students on their dissertation, and they've included part of that as a part of their dissertation. So there is a wide range of resources that can be available to you if you do work with these uh, societies. Uh, and as always, uh, you know, uh, we will include the links uh, below. So if you are a Brunel student uh, and you're interested in being involved in society, whether, you know, you're undergrad, postgrad, you're a PhD student already, um, you know, feel free to check it out. Uh, and I believe, uh, and I just need to, uh, you know, as always, confirm 
confirm, fact check what I say. Uh, there is there is a membership fee, uh, but I am sure that these guys will give you the the the, the amazing treats that I know come when you you pay for for membership. Um, so yeah, definitely check out their link. You know, uh, I think I think just to, I just want to check, Donna Marie, you, you you know a bit more about them. So if if I've missed yeah, anything, so out, I mean, I'm ahead. one of the members. Well, one of the things I was going to shout out if I can, because I think you've given them a great job. You 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 spotlighted them brilliantly, and maybe just on to tag on to that and I don't want to just make it Brunel focused as you said but two things I'd, um, two um, places I want to shout out one would be the graduate school because I think we have an absolutely brilliant graduate school at Brunel University which are there in effect to support doctoral researchers across the whole of the university um, and it's not just for training and courses but it is really with absolutely every aspect of what it is like to be a doctoral researcher I know that when I joined last year, um, in my first year, the help that they gave me was, you know, unparalleled. Like it was just absolutely brilliant. And it's great because you you have kind of this um, source of um, academic support, but they are also there to support you with well-being and, you know, kind of any other issues, financial issues, or kind of just signpost you to the relevant place. They're an absolutely fantastic team run by an absolutely brilliant um, Black woman, Dr. Tina Ramkalawan, who is absolutely fantastic. I can't sing her praises enough, but the whole team at the graduate school are absolutely brilliant. But just like you said, I know that we do have a lot of listeners out there that are not from Brunel University, but I would encourage anyone who is either doing their PhD or thinking about it or who has any links to any university, maybe to look at whether their university has any kind of um, doctoral researcher society or something similar to the Black Doctoral Researchers Collective. You know, there's so many different groups and initiatives that are being set up at the universities in the UK or outside of the UK, as it were, um, recently over the past year, especially with the movement of Black Lives Matter that have been absolutely fantastic. And a lot of these initiatives have been, like I said, just first class in just making sure that, you know, Black, Asian, minority, ethnic groups or just doctoral researchers on a whole get the support that they need on this pivotal journey in their life. So, you know, if you are at a different university, see what your university has to offer. Don't be afraid to ask those questions. If you're not sure, again, message me, I'll ask them for you. But yeah, definitely tap into some of those resources that are out there. There are so many others that are starting up now um, that are not just university wide, but, you know, more external organizations and so on, which I'll, I'll hopefully share with Jeffrey as well. But I think, yeah, definitely great to spotlight the Doctoral Researcher Society, our own graduate school and some of the work that's being done, the fantastic work, I should say, that's being done um, across universities up and down the country. Thank you. And I guess one one note before we end the episode is, yeah, definitely if you, you don't have one at university, feel free to start one. You know, oh, it, yeah. it's it's not, a, it's not a complicated process to start societies as long as the interest is there. Uh, and I'm sure, especially as you've seen uh, some of the benefits that, uh, that uh, you know, we've highlighted that uh, Brunel's own doctoral research society uh, does, um, you know, it's clear that there, there is a need for it and it will be beneficial so yeah definitely if you haven't gone already feel free to start it um but yes the the brunel's the doctoral research society in addition to other um 
Doctor Research Societies are the university's our MCs of the month. And uh, on that note, well, we have officially come to the end of the episode. Uh, so I want to say first off again, a big, big thank you uh, to Donna Marie for her wonderful insight today. It's been great to learn more about you, more about the amazing work that you've done throughout your time at Brunel, um, to know more about PhDs as well. Um, and I guess before we, we, we let you go, I just want to ask, if our listeners are interested, I know we said we'll include the links below, but if if our interest, if our listeners are interested in learning a bit more about you or you know knowing a bit more about what you do your PhD on, uh, where can our listeners go to get that information? So I'm social, but I'm not as social, but I am on social media. So you, you're probably your best bet would be to tweet me, so you can find me on Twitter, um, and that is holder dm underscore. But again, we'll give you all the links. I'm also on LinkedIn, and that's my full name. Donna hyphen Marie Holder, which I know you won't forget now, you know, that Donna Marie Osmond story. Um, but yeah, just kind of search Donna Marie Holder and you'll find all of my details. But please feel free to get in touch. I know some people are like, oh, I'm not sure. I don't really know her. Believe me, you can just send me a message and we'll be talking like we're old friends. <laughs> thank you. No, thank you very much for that, Donna. It's, it's really good to learn more about you, Donna Marie. Thank and you. Think... And thank you again. I wish you all the success, but oh, thank you. And I, again, all success with your course, but with thank Pick you. Up the Mic as well to you and the team. And thank you for being absolutely fantastic. Oh, no worries. Thank you very much. And uh, as always, listeners, if you've uh, loved this episode, feel free to like and subscribe. Uh, if you want to join our Patreon page, you know there are some lovely benefits already for you. Uh, please feel free to check. Um, but as always, it's been, it's a, been a great episode. That's a bye from us here. And yeah, we'll see you all in the next episode. Pick up Bye. the mic. So take Bye, care. Y'all. And see you all later.